You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. A science story, huh? And I just thought, well, I figured it out. It was that golden moment. Because science was on my side. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true personal stories about science. I'm your host, Misha Gajewski, Senior Producer and Program Manager at the Story Collider. And this week, we're going rogue. In more ways than one. Not only is your usual host, Aaron, not here, but both our storytellers are deviating from the norm in their own way. We're going off the beaten track, taking an alternative approach, choosing the road less traveled. You get the idea. Our first story is from Adam Selps. It was recorded in New York City in September last year with a limited audience. The theme that night was freaking out. So when I was 12 years old, I was uh, I was a bit of what you would call a late bloomer. And by that, I mean, I like didn't shower nearly enough. I just always wore these sweatpants that were just completely covered in golden retriever fur, like constantly. And I, I refused to read any book that didn't prominently feature like orcs or elves or pro- preferably both of them. Um, so already to begin with, I was not exactly like the most popular kid in my middle school. But then um, then I developed a very, very noticeable hand tremor. And you might think that, like, a kid like me didn't have very far to fall down, like, you know, the social ladder in middle school. But you would be wrong, because I went from this, like, 80-pound Dungeons & Dragons kind of nerd who just sort of flew under the radar to someone who is, like, really getting, like, actively ridiculed um, it fucking sucked. Like, you know, I had been picked on before. I had been bullied. But th- th- when this happened, it felt like God himself had come down and was like, all right, guys, I found a real loser for you. I'm going to mark him. <laughs> go, go get him. Um, so this disorder, it's, it's known as like a benign tremor. A lot of people think that it's a precursor to Parkinson's disease, that like I'm on my way to becoming very sick or something like that. That's not the case at all. It's completely benign. It's genetic. And it usually sort of presents itself for people when they're in their middle age, like when you're 50 or 60. I had the good luck of getting it when I was in like the middle of like my most awkward period in middle school. And let me tell you, it fucking sucked. (laughs) Like, I began getting really picked on. Like, getting beaten up every day. Um, So I decided that I realized that I was going to need to learn how to defend myself. So I went to my father and I told him that I wanted to learn how to fight. My father was like, great, I'll teach you. 
the problem with this was that my dad is kind of like, you know, an intellectual. And what his idea of fighting is, is just like arguing. <laughs> and my dad's preferred style of arguing is this like very sort of Jewish kind of arguing where like, you know, you, you just sort of like use emotional leverage and guilt and like statistics, preferably made up entirely on the spot. And... Let me, let me tell you, it's pretty useless if you're getting beaten up by some 13-year-old psychopath in, like, a middle school, like, gymnasium somewhere. Not that I didn't try, but you try telling, like, Tim from music class that if his mother could see him, she would be very disappointed. <laughs> and let me tell you, it doesn't, it, like, it doesn't, doesn't really work at all. Not, not much happened. Um, and it's a shame because throughout my life from then on, I would have really benefited from knowing how to defend myself. I am a small man, but that is not even really why. Um, you see, from from the time that this this thing happened, I sort of had to like figure out exactly how I was going to get through life, looking like I was fucking terrified all the time, because that's what having shaky hands like indicates, isn't it, that you're nervous, that you're scared, that you're uncomfortable being in a situation. And if I had learned how to defend myself, maybe I would have had a little bit more confidence and people would have noticed the incongruities with that. But no, that's not what happened. You, you might think that like it's not a big deal if people think you're nervous until you find yourself dealing with a customs agent who is just sure you're smuggling something and is absolutely <laughs> just tearing your bag apart. Right, that happens to everybody. Sure, maybe it's happened to you. Do you know how often that happens to me? No, 80% of the time. I have to build in extra time when I go to the airport. It, ha it happens to me so much more than it happens to you. Even if you are an actual drug smuggler, I guarantee it. Dating was a whole other matter. Like, I would imagine if you're a normal 15-year-old trying to figure out how to, like, unclasp a bra is, like, one thing, like, you know, probably difficult enough. It's another thing when, like, you know, I physically can't do it, first of all. Secondly, the girl looks at me halfway through and is like, oh, my God, you're so nervous. Is this your first time, sweetie? Like, what do you say to that? Like, no, no, I'm a stud. No, like, no, no. But... Absolutely, far and away, the worst thing um, about having this disorder is dealing with people on the street. And uh, I, don't, I don't know if you know this living in New York, but there are some people that are just always going to be looking for some kind of way to leverage whatever they can get out of you. Um, what I'm trying to say is I've been mugged a lot. I don't want to brag. <laughs> I have been mugged more than anybody else I have ever met. Oh, it's okay, because you know what? Guess what? Practice makes perfect. I'm really good at it. No, really. I'm like, wallet, phone, in, out, easy peasy, not a scratch on me. I'm like the fucking top gun of getting mugged. No one can touch me. So it was like a couple of years ago, I was walking down the street, and... Uh, I noticed these two dudes notice me. And when I say notice me, I noticed them noticing my hand shaking as I brought my cigarette up to my lips to take a drag. And I know that look because I've seen it all the time. I saw it in the face of the customs agent right before he pulled me into the little room. It's this look that says, gotcha. I see you, you're scared. 
And the next thing I knew, somebody had come up behind me and put me in this really cool kung fu grip that would have been like really awesome to know when I would have known when I was in middle school. And the guy just grabs me, pulls me close, and whispers in my ear. He goes, don't move, motherfucker. Give us the money. Now, this I appreciate. Like, a mugger who's, like, straightforward. There's no fucking around. You know how it's going to go. Like, his partner's going to, like, go through my, my pockets. I'm going to be in and out, easy peasy, no problems. Usually. <laughs> because this time, I don't know exactly what it was going on with me. You know, I was returning from a really bad date. Um, she had noticed my hand shaking and, uh, she had said, Oh, I, I, I don't think you have to be nervous. Don't, don't worry. God, you're shaking like a leaf. And I told her I'm not shaking. I have a neurological disorder because if I was going to, we were both going to be humiliated in the date if anything. So I had been walking home. I was already like a little dejected. I was a little drunk. And this time I decided to fight as we've previously discussed. I don't know how to do that. So the guy's got me clamped, and his, his partner's going through my wallet, and I'm like, uh, going through my pants looking for my wallet, and I'm like, all right, this is it. It's go time. What am I going to do? And I was like, well, you know, I don't know how to do the thing with my hands and, you know, do the, 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 the fighting. So I was like, so what's up? I was like, well, you know what I do know how to do? I know how to bite a motherfucker. <laughs> now, if you've never bitten another human being in a fight, let me tell you what you're missing. Here's the thing about biting somebody is once you decide to go down that road, there are no take backs. <laughs> once you decide to bite another human being with your actual teeth, you are just signing a blank check for whatever comes next. Like you are you, like, that's it. You have to take it. But I was like, well, this is it. This is, this is where we are. So I'm doing it. So I grabbed the guy's, like, his hand. It's like this giant meaty ball. I'm like, how am I going to chew on this? It's ridiculous. <laughs> so I grab, the, grab his hand and I just shove it in my mouth. And only after I do that do I realize I am not going to go through with this. I can't. I'm too scared. I'm in the middle of getting mugged with this guy's hand in my mouth. But I don't want to chicken out because I'm already halfway there. So I decided to compromise. And I just begin swallowing his arm whole like a snake. Like, oh. He was so surprised. Because guess what? He wasn't expecting this. Let's be honest, I think we were both pretty confused. Like, we were both surprised at the turn this night had, like, taken us over here. So he leans in and whispers in my ear again, and he says, that's disgusting. Stop that, that's disgusting. But I didn't stop, because I had already gotten his whole hand in. And I think there was a certain point in time where we both thought I was going to pull it off. Like, I was going to swallow this whole dude, this entire dude, because the next time he leaned in, he had an edge of panic in his voice, and he said, stop it, motherfucker! I said, stop it! <laughs> but I didn't stop, because I had already gotten his whole hand and his wrist in, and I was moving up towards his forearm, although I have to admit, at this point, it was getting difficult. <laughs> The next time he leaned in, he said the magic words, bitch, I will stab you. <laughs> so I disgorged his arm. 
And as he was walking away with his friend, he turned to him and he said, did you see that? This dude tried to swallow me. <laughs> Can you believe what's going on out here? People are crazy. And he's right, people are crazy. I was, I was the crazy one. I was crazy, I'm so sick of being treated this way. And the thing was, uh, okay, that didn't work out great that night, that fighting. You know, we had to figure out my, my exact style, swallowing a dude whole, not in my skill set. But I had made a choice, and I had chosen violence. I walked away from that knowing that I was never going to be made a victim again. Until two weeks later, when I was accosted by an enormous group of 12-year-old boys <laughs> who beat the shit out of me and took my wallet. Thank you very much. That was Adam Selps. Adam Selps is a writer and graphic designer from Williamsburg, Brooklyn. He hosts the monthly Big Earth Storytelling Roadshow and has been performing around New York City for the last 10 years. And before we keep going with today's episode, a few reminders. One, don't try to swallow a stranger's fist. Or your own. Two, Story Collider has a bunch of stuff coming up. If you're listening to this on Friday, February 18th, we have our Winter Story Slam tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. The theme is hibernation, so tune in and possibly put your name in the hat for a chance to be invited on screen to share your story. Tickets for our slams are $10, and we send out discount codes to our newsletter subscribers. You can find out more at storycollider.org. If you're listening to this not on Friday, February 18th, don't worry, we have another story slam in the spring. And coming up on February 26th, we'll be live streaming from Seattle. The show will be hosted by Emmy Akikawa and our new Seattle producer, Kent Whipple. For all our upcoming shows, check out storycollider.org. Finally, if you're a fan of this podcast, if you, like us, believe in the power these stories have to reveal the humanity behind science, to change our understanding of how science happens and who it belongs to, please consider donating to the Story Collider at storycollider.org slash donate. You can also sign up to support us on a monthly basis at patreon.com slash the Story Collider. Our Patreon supporters can receive an ad-free version of this podcast, as well as occasional bonus episodes and other gifts. We are also, for the first time ever, selling merch on our website. If you would like to buy a Story Collider hoodie, t-shirt, or tote bag, you can find those at storycollider.org store. Your purchases help to support Story Collider's work. We're so grateful to everyone who helps make our shows and podcasts possible. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
All right. Our second story comes to us from Atlanta. Cassandra Quave told the story at an outdoor show in September last year. The theme that night was unfamiliar places. So I'm standing in the apartment um, mailroom in my senior year of college. And in my hand, I have this really important letter. It turns out that it's my acceptance letter to medical school, something that I have literally worked my entire life towards achieving. But in that moment, instead of feeling elated and ecstatic, I felt ambivalent. How could that be? How did I get there? And it all really came down to some very special trees. So I grew up in a very rural town in southwest Florida. You have thousands of acres of saw palmetto and piney woodlands and oak scrubland that are interspersed between cattle pastures and orange groves. When I wasn't rolling around the dirt with my dog Spot, you could often find me high up in a tree in the welcoming arms of a centuries-old live oak tree. And up there, I would read books, and I would observe nature. I'd watch little beetles crawling around um, and look out for fox squirrels and watch birds hopping from branch to branch. And I especially delighted in looking at epiphytes, so these really cool plants that grow on other plants. And one of my favorites was one that has these gorgeous gray tendrils that kind of sway in the wind like an old man's beard. We know it as Spanish moss. So that's where I would spend my days. And at the base of the tree, my dog Spot would sit there snoozing next to this pair of battered old wooden crutches. You see, I was actually born with multiple birth defects. And at birth, my parents' greatest wish was that someday I could walk. My foot, um, I had two legs, but one was actually much shorter than the other. I was missing my fibula, my tibia was very short, my femur was short, I was missing a bunch of bones in my ankle, and so they needed to amputate my leg, which nearly killed me at the age of three because of a hospital-acquired infection. They later rebuilt my hip, I had scoliosis surgery, I mean, I was the million-dollar kid, I mean, literally. (laughs) And so... um, being this, this, this ex- having this level of exposure to medicine and being in the quote-unquote smart group of kids in school, I was given two options um, that I was really pushed towards, either law or medicine, um, as happens in small towns. And so I chose medicine because it's what I knew. They were my heroes. That's who I decided I must emulate. And so when I went to college, I became a very studious, hardcore pre-med student, dedicating my time to rote memorization of physics and chemistry and biology facts. Um, But in some of my anthropology classes, my eyes were opened to this other facet of medicine, this idea that there were actually many different forms of medicine that were practiced around the world. And so when I had a chance to experience another form of medicine firsthand, I leapt at it. And so that's how I found myself sitting on this rickety old bench propped up against a tree trunk in the middle of the Amazon. I was waiting on a medicine man. He'd gone back to his palm thatch hut to, to, to grab something. And as I waited, I kind of took in the scene. Above me, there was this really fascinating shrub that had glistening dark green leaves and these red spiky fruit pods that were like fire engine red about the size of a, of a chicken egg. 
And it reminded me of like a, like a Christmas tree just laden with holiday ornaments. Nearby, these beautiful morpho, blue morpho butterflies swooped by, their blue and silver wings glistening in the light. I was just in such an intense state of amazement that I was surrounded by this level of biodiversity and was just trying to take it all in. I tried, as I waited, I tried to knock some of the mud off of my boots. We'd taken a hike into the jungle that morning. They were still too wet, couldn't come off. And next to me on the bench, I had a backpack that was filled with field gear, with camera equipment, clippers, a field guide to the plants and trees of, of the Amazon, and a notebook and paper. So the medicines man's name was Don Antonio. He was a few inches shorter than my five foot six inch frame. He had dark, pensive eyes, charcoal black hair, and broad shoulders. His hands were callous from his work in the garden every day, but he was no simple gardener. He was an ayahuascaro shaman, and he was based at this research camp that I had arrived at um, a week prior. So getting to the Amazon, I'd taken this flight from Atlanta to Lima and then to Iquitos. From Iquitos, I'd taken a boat way up the Amazon onto the Napo River, almost reaching the Ecuadorian border before stopping in at the Sucasari River, um, which is where the camp was based. Iquitos is a really fascinating place if you've never been there. It's just this vibrant live city um, with a floating market where they have everything from like baby caimans to little monkeys in cages that they're selling. And there's all this uh, masato, which is the spit beer that people drink in the area. Um, and interestingly enough, it's actually the sixth largest city in the country, um, but is totally inaccessible by roads. You can only fly or get there by boat. So back in his garden, Don Antonio approached me, and he reached above me to grab one of those spiky red fruit pods. And as had become habit between us, I took out my notebook and started studiously writing down everything he said. I was really serious about this. I mean, I was super curious about this idea that medicine could be made from plants, but I was also really skeptical. I was teeming with questions. Um, did these actually work? Was this just placebo effect? Um, was there actually any scientific merit to these remedies? And so I'm recording these things on my paper. My brow is furrowed. He's explaining things in Spanish, going slowly because I wasn't the best Spanish speaker. I knew enough to write down words that I couldn't, didn't know at the moment and could look up later. And then he opens up the fruit pod and he starts smushing at it with his finger. And he creates this really deep red paste. The seeds inside the pod, by the way, are the color of cranberries, about the size of a cranberry, or half the size of a cranberry, but more rugged in texture. And so he's pushing these into a paste and it's like this waxy red stuff and he starts applying it to my lips. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, is this a cure for viral, you know, cold sores on your mouth or something else? Like, what is this all about? I mean, my mind's just racing. Like, what is he using this for? And then after a while, he steps back and he grins at me and he reaches into his, his um, bag and he pulls something out and it flashes with the light coming down from through the forest canopy. It's a small mirror. He holds the mirror up to my face, and I see that this red paste is just all over my teeth and mouth and looks pretty ridiculous. And he just bends over and starts laughing, like not like a chuckle, but like a belly laugh. He thinks it's hilarious. He's like, lipstick. And I start laughing too. 
And that was kind of the moment that we broke the tension because I was so serious about every little detail. Um, and it was his way of helping me kind of, okay, let's learn, but let's have fun doing it. Um, so what's amazing is that since the time that humans first walked out of the uh, out of the African savannas on two legs, we have been using plants as medicine. In fact, billions of people across the globe use plants as medicine today. We have some of our most ancient records go back to the time of ancient Egypt, where there are these amazing scrolls that document over 700 different remedies based on plants. And in the Amazon, they've also used plants as medicine for millennia. This rich amount of knowledge that's passed down from shaman to, to apprentice is something that's incredibly rich in detail. It's not just about which plant to use, but it's when to harvest it, where to find it, how to prepare it, how to know when a patient needs it, and how often you give it to the patient. And in addition to that, there are over 400 different tribes, um, uh, tribal groups in the Amazon, and each group has its own distinct religion, language, form of medicine, an entire worldview that's distinct from the others. And what I was beginning to learn from Don Antonio was not only that were these, were these plants powerful, and actually they were showing effects in, as he treated patients, um, but also that they were being quickly lost. Because with every, every shaman that dies without an apprentice, we're losing the equivalency of libraries of knowledge for the future. Now, Another thing that's amazing, as I learned, was that over time, we humans have discovered around 374,000 species of plants on Earth. And amazingly, 33,000 of those, or 9% of all plant life, has actually been used in some form of medicine somewhere. And the one thing that's more amazing than that fact, that 9% of plant life can be used medicinally, is that scientists haven't bothered to study the vast majority of those. Ethnobotany is a scientific study of the relationships between people and plants. And it was in, during that time in the Amazon that, I, that that connectivity between culture and medicine and nature kind of solidified for me. It awoke in me an awareness of both the strengths and limitations, not only of traditional medicine, but also of Western medicine. And so when I was back in that apartment mailroom after returning from the Amazon and I'm holding this letter, this ticket to my future, the future that I had always been told is the only path for me, that I am destined to become a surgeon, somehow I found the courage to crumble that letter up and I became an ethnobotanist. Thank you. That was Cassandra Quave. Cassandra is the Herbarium Curator and Associate Professor of Dermatology and Human Health at Emory University. You can also catch her on her podcast, Foodie Pharmacology, a podcast dedicated to exploring the links between food and medicine. Or read her science memoir, The Plant Hunter, A Scientist's Quest for Nature's Next Medicines. The Story Collider is so grateful to Adam and Cassandra for sharing their stories with us. The Story Collider is also very grateful for the support of Science Sandbox, a Simons Foundation initiative dedicated to engaging everyone with the processes of science.
This episode of our podcast was produced by me, Misha Gajewski, with help from Aaron Barker, our beloved executive director and co-founder of The Story Collider, program director Nissa Greenberg, and senior podcast editor Jen Chen. Special thanks goes out to The Story Collider's board and the rest of our staff, including managing director Anne-Marie Lonsdale, science advisory fellow Edith Gonzalez, operation manager Lindsay Cooper, and marketing manager Nikisha Roberts-Washington, without whom none of this would be possible. The stories featured in today's episode were from shows produced by Aaron Barker and by Kelly Vinyl and Emma Yarbrough, respectively. Our theme music is by Ghost, and we'll be back next week with more live recorded stories. Until then, thanks for listening. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.